Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Thanks, Tim, and great to be here with you this morning. Uh, Jason's down with the Ormo congregation today. He thinks it's wonderful because he gets a little bit of a sleep in. Whereas I've got to work out what it is to do two services back to back. So if you see me rocking in a corner at the end of this, just come and give me some love because this is not my usual Sunday morning. It's, it's, as Tim said, it's been a long time since I've been here at Mackenzie on the stage, but it also means it's the first time that I'm actually able to say g'day to our Gateway Online audience uh, and to introduce myself. I thought it would be good for me to spend a few moments introducing myself. Now, talking to Mark and Eden this week, 56 countries have tuned into Gateway Online since we started, 23 of those uh, more than 10 times. So we would say that they are regular attenders, which I think is awesome, don't you think? So why don't we all in the room say good day to Gateway Online this morning. One of the things I love about it was when we started Gateway Ormo, we had a family that was part of our church right at the very beginning. And a few years into the story, they moved out west and it was really sad to farewell them. They were a great integral part of our church. And ever since Gateway Online has begun, they've actually returned to Gateway just in a different way. And so uh, good morning today to the Carl family who host, are part of our hosting team, also running an online life group. And uh, to everyone in Gundawindi this morning, it's great to have you joining us as we open God's Word together. You know, when I first came to Gateway, online wasn't something we were really thinking about. That is because it wasn't even in anybody's scope or belief that this thing would be possible. And I can prove it because I actually found evidence of the very first time I got to stand on this stage and bring a message. I found it in my collection. You'll see a photo of it on the screen this morning from November 2000 when I got to preach my very first message at Gateway, it was called An Authentic Community at the PM service on the 19th of November in the year 2000. As Tim said, my history at this church has been long. The next year I stood on this stage again and married a young lady that I met at our 6 p.m. service. Church is a great place to find your future. Our spouse and Chrissy and I married here in November 2001 and since then we've added five children to our family doing our part to the growth of the church. <laughs> About a year after that I got welcomed onto the ministry team here at Gateway and uh, this is now my 20th year on staff at Gateway. They can't get rid of me, they just need to keep sending me to far-flung places to uh, continue doing what I do. And you know what, 10 years ago, almost to the day, if I was here next Sunday, it would have been to the very day, but 10 years ago, I stood on this stage with about 15 others as uh, the church commissioned us to go and do Gateway's first church plant down at Ormo. We were called Gateway South originally. We stood under this incredible tree that had been put on the stage and the church prayed for us. And on the 25th of March this year, Gateway's first church plant of this season turns 10 years old, which is super exciting. God's been really faithful to us. And it reminds me why we plant churches, because people have come to discover Jesus that hadn't before. Young people have grown up to find their purpose and their value in Him. We've had the chance to impact 
a whole new community. When we started, Ormo was as far south as anybody lived. Now we've got people coming from Madrabah and Pimpama and Kumra and all south of us. The Gateway family has expanded significantly geographically and it's been a great privilege to be part of that story. But it's not just been significant moments for me that have happened on this stage. It was in this church that God used some great catalysts in my own faith and spiritual journey. And one of those was very early on as a young adult when I started to fall in love with the Word of God. And I had the great privilege of sitting under the leadership of Tim Hanna, who was our senior pastor at the time and still part of the church. Tim might be here today. But Tim was just an incredible Bible teacher and had a way of bringing the Word alive. And so in my formative young adult years, even though I'd been following Jesus since a very young age, I started to understand and fall in love with the Word of God. And today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the Bible. I want to ask you, what's your story with God's Word been? When we become a Christian or when we start to show an interest in the things of God, usually the first gift we are given is a Bible. Now, I forgot my usual Bible and the only one on my desk looks like it's got about 16 editions in it, right? But it's a great prop for today's message. But often the first gift we give someone is a Bible. And we do that because there's something important and special and formative about the Word of God. Instantly we know, because it's the first gift that we're given, that if we're going to be serious about growing our relationship with Jesus, that the words contained in this book really matter. I mean, the Bible says it about itself. The psalmist in Psalm 1 says these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord." and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. In other words, contained in this book, this book that you have, and now you don't even need to carry a physical version of it. I very, very rarely use a physical version of my Bible because it's downloadable on every device that I have. But the words contained in this book are the words of life. Yet when we're handed it as a new Christian or an explorer of faith, we don't know where to start, do we? Because even though we know that this is important, there's something about it that makes it difficult to read. Like most eager and budding Bible readers in my early years, I did what we do with books in the Western world. I went straight to page one and I started reading. And I figure that's what you do with a book, isn't it? You read it from start to finish. And the first couple of chapters of the Scripture are engaging and you talk about creation and the fall and these great narratives and stories that form the very beginning of the Scripture. But then only a few chapters in, you come across the graveyard of every budding, eager Bible reader. Genealogies, like this one. Now we're told that every word in God's Word is really important, right? So when we're sitting down in our devotional space and the reading for the days out of Genesis chapter 10, we feel like there should be something in these words. I mean, the sons of Aram, Azhul, Githa and Meshach, I can't even say their names. Half of my devotional time is trying to understand how to pronounce these ancient names and trying to find the gold that God has obviously hidden in this text because no word is going to return void, is it? Every word matters. 
We feel like it should be more important than it seems right now. And so you press on and then you get to some books of law and some pretty cool laws that you find in there. Here's a couple of random ones for you. Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy 23. I like this one. If you enter your neighbour's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes that you want. Let me give a modern day take of that. Come to my house, my fridge is open. Well, not my fridge, but your fridge is open to me if I come to your house. I'm just not allowed to put any of it in my basket. That's what God's law says. Try arguing with that. Leviticus 19, it gets even better. Keep my decrees, says the Lord. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seeds and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Anyone here that's wearing a poly cotton shirt or planted some carrots alongside some radishes yesterday, probably right now should start repenting and wondering what that's going to mean for their salvation. I mean, it says it in God's Word, right? Surely it means something. Surely we need to do something with it. I mean, the law can be utterly confusing and sometimes off-putting at best, but if we press on past that, we get to some pretty cool stories. Let me tell you one of my favourite ones from 2 Kings, chapter, chapter 20, uh, 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 22. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some boys came out from the town and jeered at him, get out of here, baldy. He turned around, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Anyone want to talk about how well I've aged (laughs) since I first stood on this stage? Because there's precedent. And if we want to see some bears in Brisbane today, maybe we could see what we could organise. You know, this tool that we've been given to shape our life by We often ask the question, God, if it's so important, why is it so confusing, confronting, and sometimes downright hard to read? But we don't even want to say that, do we? Because it feels like it's sacrilegious to even utter those words. So we either press on or we give up and then feel guilty for the rest of our life that we're not engaging in this super important discipline of reading, engaging with, and applying God's Word. If I have one sole aim in my message today, it's this. I want to give you a renewed and maybe a fresh desire to engage with the Word of God because if you do and if you learn to read it and understand it and find some tools that help you, it will be one of the most transformative things in your faith journey. But let's start by just acknowledging and let's do it together that the Bible is a hard book to read. Let me just give you a quick snapshot of why it's so hard to read. The Bible's not just one book, it's actually 66 books. It's a library put together for us of 66 different books. Now, not all of those books are in the right chronological order. They've just been ordered in a way to play their part in the grand story that they're telling, even though every book is telling its own story and doing its own work. Across those 66 books, we have three different languages. The Bible wasn't written in English, just for anyone that's Wondering, it wasn't even written in Old English, for anyone that's wondering. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so the scriptures that we have have come because of years and decades of just faithful men and women that have done the work of translation so that we actually have something that we can read and understand. 
But in those 66 books and three languages, there's also a whole bunch of different genres. There's poetry, there's wisdom literature, there's historical narrative, there's legal narrative, there's letters or epistles, there's prophetic and apocalyptic stories, and there's proclamation. So not only do we have 66 books written in three languages across a whole bunch of different genres, these books were also written over the span of about 1,200 years. Now just think about that for a minute. I'm 42 years of age. I know I don't look it. I know I look a whole lot more like 35, but 42 years of age. When I was born, you couldn't even get tapes from your local church to listen to the sermon. There were no tape ministries. And the church hadn't yet worked out how to press vinyl so people could come and pick up a record and listen to the sermon from Sunday. So if you weren't in church, you missed it. No gateway online. I mean, the best, I, 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 I was very blessed at an early age to get gifted. I was an only child, only children wear spoilt sometimes. I was given a Sega Master System for one of the first Christmases that I can remember and a dot matrix printer. <laughs> Technology. Smartphones weren't a thing that we considered the opportunity to engage with 56 nations across the world on a Sunday morning through an online service wasn't continued. I'm talking about 42 years. The Bible was written over 1,200 years. So imagine the changes in culture and society and thinking and politics and our understanding of the world across 1,200 years. What's my point? There's a lot of challenges that come with reading and understanding this book. Yet this is the Word of God. It's His story, it's His revelation, it's His truth. And if we allow it to, it will transform us. One of the first things I want to say that's going to help us understand why it's so important is this. The Bible is the record of God's revelation to mankind. In other words, God has revealed Himself to people and then inspired people to write it down. And what we have in our hands is the record of the way God has revealed Himself throughout history. And you know what? One of the underlying stories of that is that we need to hear today. God gives us this gift because we have a God that wants to be known. He wants to be known. And so His Word, the record of God's revelation towards humanity is His gift to us because God has always wanted to be known. But because He wants to be known, every time God has revealed Himself, He does it into the context of the people in which He reveals Himself. So when God meets with you here today by the power of His Holy Spirit, He doesn't speak in your ear in Hebrew, He speaks in English because He wants you to know who He is. But when he spoke to people in ancient Palestine, he spoke in their language, with their stories, in their context, in their culture, because God has always wanted to be known and still does. And that is the gift of the Word, that it was delivered to people in their context. And so we've got a little bit of work to do, but we live in a time where there's greater resources than ever before to help us do it. And so for a few minutes, let me tell you why this book really matters to our church and to your faith and why one of our church values is that we teach the Bible for every day. In other words, we take this ancient book that records the way God has revealed Himself throughout history and we ask the question of what is God's truth? What does God want to say? What is His timeless truth in our ever-changing world? Because for us, God's Word still desires to make him known in our day 
in, in our time. So let me just speak for a couple of minutes about the gift of God's word and why engaging with it can transform your life. Firstly, this, God's word illuminates. God's word illuminates. The psalmist, Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, verse 105 says this, it's, it's a well-known verse and it's turned into a couple of well-known songs, but your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto to my path. In other words, God's word illuminates. It actually makes a pathway known. Jesus himself says this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. We live in a complex, challenging, confronting world. Our culture is ever-changing. The narrative of our culture is ever-changing. Things that you could say and do 20 years ago are no longer acceptable. And so much of that change has been good. But culture is marching on at a rate that we can't always keep up with. And we live in a very confusing world. But God says of Himself, my word is a lamp to your feet. It's the thing that's actually gonna help you guide the treacherous waters of a complex world and an ever-changing culture. God's Word illuminates. We live in a world with a lot of messages. We live in a world that tells us how to be happy, how to be content, how to find purpose, where truth can be found, what is good, what is right, what is acceptable, what choices you should be able to make and the choices that are no longer yours to make. And every time you find one of those messages, there's a counter voice to it. See, God's Word reveals for us God's way. And God's design for you is that you would flourish. And to truly flourish, we have to discover the life that God always intended for us to live. See, we live in a generation with more access to the Scriptures than ever before and more accompanying resources to help us understand and unpack them. Yet we live in a time with probably the lowest biblical literacy that there's ever been. With more access... We're more illiterate in what God's Word actually says. We also live in a generation that builds a theology out of what they feel. In other words, well, if this feels right, God must be in it because God always wants things to feel good and right, doesn't He? You know, the Bible's very clear that, that God has created us in His image. There's a whole bunch of people that are trying really hard to actually get God to conform to their image. In other words, as long as God aligns to the thoughts, the feelings, the prejudices, the belief system that I have, then it's God can't be good. So unless it feels right, it's not God. But we're not using this as the basis to actually build a true and a proper picture of who God is. We just use what feels like it should be right. We live in a culture that's building theology out of feelings, not grounded in the robust knowledge of a God who has made himself known and who wants to transform us into his image. You see, the invitation of God's Word is this, that you can have your life shaped by the one who chose to breathe life into you. And in the very first chapters of the book, as you read it, in the very first chapters of Genesis, you discover God as Creator that put all things in their place, that gave life to all things, that made them work together in perfect harmony. And when He looked upon His creation, He uttered these words, it's very good. And the only thing that messed up 
the very good creation that God had was when humanity in the story, Adam and Eve, but we could put our names in there because we don't blame Adam and Eve because we've still got the same thing residing inside of us, which is a spirit that says, God, I trust you most of the time, but there's some things that I know better at. And Adam and Eve essentially decided that they knew better than God and that they could do things their own way and it wouldn't matter. And the story is when they stepped out of God's purposes and when they allowed their own purposes and desires and drive and ambition to become the centre of the story, things got messed up and human history continues to show us that when people are in charge, things get messed up. And right now we've just got to look at our world to know that there's competing ideologies of people that are happy to see innocent people die because they've bought into something that they believe is true and just and right. Why? Because we still think that we know better than God. God's Word illuminates. The invitation to you today is will you allow His Word to shape you? Because the Bible invites you to discover the life that comes from God whose ultimate dream for you is that you would flourish by discovering what it means to be an image bearer of His. But God's Word doesn't just illuminate, God's Word matures. What happens when you become a believer? If you're here this morning and some point in your story you chose to put your faith in Jesus, what happens at that point? We live in grace, right? Now, grace says that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's favour. But sometimes we can twist the message of grace into saying that there's no onus on us to grow. I think that's a very bad application of grace. Grace is the gift that says nothing that you've done is gonna be held against you, but still don't keep living in the mess. Here's, here's an opportunity for you to have a second chance and start again. And the second chances keep coming, but the invitation to grow is very real. A few weeks ago, I was reading one of Jesus' stories in Luke 12. He says this. He's telling a story about servants that, whose masters have gone away. It's one of his parables. He says, a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know, someone who does not know, sorry, and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. They're really sobering words because I think what Jesus wants to say is once you've been handed the gift of salvation and grace and the knowledge of God and the tools to grow in your relationship with Him, there's actually some work to be done. You actually have the opportunity to grow up a little bit in your faith. I actually think as we, I don't think, I know that as we go on as followers of Jesus, some things in our life should change. It doesn't mean they do, but they should. The longer you follow Jesus, the kinder you should become. The more patient you should become. The more you should be worried that what comes off this stage is for someone else's benefit than your own. In other words, you become less self interested and selfish. The, the, the longer you follow Jesus, the more generous you should become. The slower to respond to people in anger, the quicker to listen, the more willing to share your faith. See, if you've been following Jesus a long time, there's some things in your life that should start to look different. 
But sometimes my experience of myself and my experience of other long-term believers is that that is not true. We're the quickest to react, we're the most impatient, we're the most critical, we're the first ones to send an email telling someone they didn't do the job right. Like, why? God's Word is a gift to you to mature you in your faith. The writer of the Hebrew says this, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, right now you should have grown up to the point where you don't need mum and dad to heat up a bowl for you to suck on. But some of us are still living in the infancy of our faith and we've been following Jesus for 25 years. It's time to grow up. And one of the ways that we can grow up is by actually aligning our life to the will and the way of God. Not just the whim of what we think should be most important. See, God's Word is a gift to us to mature us in our faith because as we mature in our faith and as daily we become more Christ-like, suddenly we get to start participating more in the mission that God has for you and I and the purpose, which is to be part of His work of redemption on this planet, not just building your kingdom and looking after your needs and making sure that everything in your life is perfect so that you don't get offended. It's time to grow up. That's the message for some of you today. It's time to grow up. And one of the ways you're gonna grow up is learning a new rhythm in engaging with God's Word and God's way. See, God's Word matures and finally God's Word transforms. My favourite, favourite scripture. You know, when they sit around someone goes, what's your favourite scripture? He goes, oh, I hate that question. I don't know. In the beginning, God created. I My favourite scripture, James 1.22. Do you not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves? Do what it says. I love James. He doesn't leave a lot of room for interpretation. You don't need to understand the context in which he wrote that to get his message, do you? I love it when Bible writers just, their message transcends any culture. Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I've had regular conversations, often with younger believers that want to complain that the churches they're in and the ministries they're in aren't deep enough. They're not teaching them deep enough things. So they need to go and pursue deeper teaching. Now, I'm not saying it's not good to dive deeper into God's word. You know the simplest thing Jesus says? The, 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 the law that sums everything up is to love God and love your neighbour. We could spend our life trying to work out how to put into practice how to love our neighbour better. It's a simple thing that we've heard taught on a hundred times, yet sometimes it's the hardest thing to apply. The fruit of it doesn't always show in our life. I think we've got to be careful that we don't just crave being theologians without choosing to be theologians that are also practitioners. See, the gates of heaven don't come with a written exam, but at some point you will stand before God and give account for the fruit of your life. Now, I'm not talking you out of learning what's in it. I'm just telling you if what's in it doesn't transfer to your life in such a way that you start living it, if all you can do is tell everybody how they should live God's way and beat people over the head with this book about how they're messing things up, you're missing the point of what this book's here to do. This book helps us discover God, allow us to see God as He's revealed Himself and then it's there to transform and to shape us. 
and to turn us into great theologians and great practitioners. See, God's Word transforms. Just last week, I had the the privilege of just doing a two-day sprint across the Great Ocean Road. Not physically, you can tell I'm not a runner, but I'd been at a conference in Melbourne for a couple of days and managed to wrangle uh, a couple of days of babysitting for my kids and Chrissy flew down and met me at the end of the week and for two days we drove the Great Ocean Road. Last time we did it, we did it with four kids in the car and it was a nightmare. One of the most beautiful drives in Australia and it was just, I can still remember that it was a debacle. Anyone love road trips with children? There's no joy in it at all. So this time I just got rid of the kids and I did it with my bride. Anyway, last time we stopped at a place called the Cape Otway Light Station. Anyone been to Cape Otway Light Station down the very bottom of Victoria? It's a great drive. You should do it sometime. And last time, because we had four kids, it wasn't just a bad day in the car, but we're also broke. So we couldn't afford to go into the lighthouse, but it was just Chrissy and I. So I was happily sending photos of my kids of, we spend the money on ourselves, kids. We're going into the lighthouse. So we went into the Cape Otway Light Station and it's on the very southern tip, looking over the southern ocean, and we climbed the lighthouse, and there was a volunteer at the top, and I just asked her a simple question about, is it still in operation? And she said, no, 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 it's not, and that just unlocked a talk about the history of the light station, which I was way more fascinated by than I thought I would. She said, the thing people don't always understand about lighthouses are they're not just on a point to stop people running into the rocks there. They're actually designed in such a way that help with navigation. Now, with modern navigation systems, they're not needed in the same way. She said, but don't look at this lighthouse and think that it was designed architecturally for its beauty. It was actually designed to be at the perfect height to allow not just you know, a beacon of where land was, but also to guide and navigate the vessels. She said, you know, most of the ships that were coming around Southern Australia, if they were smart and if they were sensible, should have actually gone all the way around Australia and then up the East Coast. But everyone wants to take the shortcut, right? That's what we do. She said, but out there's 300 ships that have been wrecked because they didn't have something to guide them through the treacherous waters. She said, so there's two factors with this light station that were really, really important. One, its blink pattern is unique. And and navigators learnt to read the different patterns in which the light was shone out of the lighthouses, a bit like Morse code, to let them know what lighthouse they were looking at. She said the problem was they also put one on King Island and the blink pattern was a little bit too similar. So people saw that, thought it was Cape Otway and turned right straight into the island. But she said once they get the blink patterns worked out, once you learn to read and understand the blink pattern, it becomes a really important guide for your navigation. But more than that, she said the height of this lighthouse is important because what people worked out was light will throw from that height with the curvature of the earth 48 miles out to sea. She said, and at the end of that beam of light, the bit where it disappears off people's radar, that's the point that it's the safest passage through these waters, 48 miles off the coast. She said, so as people saw the light, they could pick the light station, but as then they worked out where the beam dropped off, they knew that they were in the safest waters. So we just look at them and think they're kind of architectural wonders, aren't they? Just to tell people that there's a big rock here. But there's so much more to it. And that's what God's Word is like. It's not just something that kind of makes its presence known to us. It's a gift that God has given to us 
to guide us, to direct us, and to help us navigate through the treacherous waters ahead. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. So I want to ask you the question this morning. And here's my response. What do you need to do to allow this book to become vital in your life again? Or maybe for the first time. We've got a Bible reading plan here at Gateway that might help you. There's a hundred you can find online. You might need to go and download a devotional that gives you some thoughts around the scriptures that you read. You might need to set up a time with one of the pastoral team and get them just to sit down and, and give you some places to start in, in helping to break it down and study. You need, might need to be here next Sunday to join a life group so you can do the journey of understanding and unpacking God's Word with others. There's a hundred gifts that God has given us in the community around us to help us read it and understand it because it is a challenging book. But in it are the words of life. Ways that God will illuminate the path. Ways that God will grow you up. And ways that God will transform your life when you discover the gift that His Word is to you today. Let's not just merely listen to this book. Let's put it into practice. It's the reason why we as a church teach the Bible for every day because it's meant to be transformative of us as individuals and communities. It should guide the way we lead as a church, the decisions that we make, the way we treat other people, the way we reach out to the poor. It all comes from God's Word and God's nature as revealed to us through it. So would you make it a vital part of your life? Would you build your life upon His Word? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray that God's Word would come alive to you. God, I just want to thank you this morning in this place for the gift of your Word. Thank you, God, that you've always wanted to be known. That you've always taken the initiative. That you've never made yourself hard to be found, but God, you've always pursued us. And your Word is just another picture of that, that Lord, as you've revealed yourself, you've inspired people to keep record of that so that we here today in 2022 can know the ways of our God and the heart of our God and the way in which we can do life and flourish as You always intended. Thank You that as we read this book, we discover You as a God of love and a God of grace and of kindness and compassion, a God that pursues us and draws us to Yourself. Thank You that in this book are the words of life. Lord, and I just acknowledge this morning for many of us, it's. It's not always been easy to read and understand. And Lord, we understand the reason for that. But God, You have a way of taking that which was written centuries, decades, millennia ago and making it real and fresh for us today. By the power of Your Holy Spirit, continue to make Your Word alive in each of us, we pray. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.